the opportunity that we have to, to partner with you in ministry. And God, you're the one that is doing all the work. And uh, you're the one that we trust and we look to. And so, God, we pray that you would work in a powerful way. I pray that this would be an incredible uh, last half of the year as it relates to us stepping up and into the game of serving and investing in each other and of giving sacrificially and joyfully. So, God, we ask that you would bless that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and stand with me. We're going to take a look at today's Scripture passage. We're going to be in John chapter 1. And again, Luke just mentioned the on-ramp. I am the uh, Redemption Communities pastor, and I will be in the lobby between services. So if you have any questions about that, feel free to grab me. I'd be happy to help you. All right, John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 18. And if you've got one of the hard black Bibles from the back, uh, that can be found on page 886. All right, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, and the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That is God's word. You may be seated. All right, sermon number two. Some of you are like, gosh, wasn't he just, didn't he just close in prayer? We're doing this again? What happened? We're going to dig into God's Word here together. I'm glad you're here. This is the second week of our uh, series on the four G's. And what we're trying to get is an accurate view of God. It's been said by somebody that uh, God made man in his image and man has been returning the favor ever since. Did you get that? We always want to think about, well, here's how I think of God, and here's how I imagine God, and my God would this, and my God would never that, and, and, and we want to kind of scrap all of what we think for a minute and go, what does God say about who he is? Who is he? And what we're going to look at are these, over this series, these four G's. We looked last week that God is great, uh, so we don't have to be in control. We'll look today that God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. Each of these things we look at shows us that who God is directly shapes how we live. Theologian J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. 
This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're just kind of stumbling through life and, and you have more questions, you got answers, and you're not sure where to look and you just feel stuck? One of the things we need at that moment is to not just look horizontally. We need to look vertically. We need to see who is God and what does he have to say about our lives. And we believe that knowing God leads to changed living. And so we talked last week about how there's this gap, this gap between what we confess, what we say we believe, and what we functionally believe in the moment. So we would say... I don't need to be in control. God's in control. But in the moment we go, I really want you to do it my way. And and so spiritual growth is the narrowing of that gap where increasingly the things we say we believe are in fact the things that we actually do. And so this 4G series is incredibly important for that. It all flows out of Psalm 145. Uh, In Psalm 145, we see all four of these Gs. And in verse 5 of Psalm 145, uh, David writes, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works i will meditate god is glorious he is majestic he has splendor do you like those words those are words of royalty i've been intrigued in the olympics to watch all the things surrounding the royals right and and they show up and it's like oh the royals right and they just look like regular people they are kind of only a really wrinkly But God is majestic and glorious. And David says what we should do is we should meditate on that. Now, this is really key. Uh, when we think of meditation, we usually think of kind of the Eastern form of meditation, which is that you empty your mind of things. When the Scripture talks about meditating, it talks about filling your mind with things. So rather than emptying it and just kind of trying to do nothing, this is filling your mind with, with the splendor, the majesty of who God is. Right? The word uh, meditate actually means to mutter. So my favorite idea of this is if you've ever been down to Mill Avenue and you see someone crossing the street and they're like, and you look at them like, that person's nuts. And sadly, they probably are. But they're muttering. And what this is, the idea of going, I'm going to just mutter to myself all the time about how great and glorious and wonderful and majestic and splendiferous God is. I'm just going to talk about that. It's the idea of I'm going to, I'm going to put a, a giant gobstopper in my cheek and just let it sort of dissolve through my life all the time. I'm going to meditate on God. I'm going to think about God. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to spend some time meditating on the glorious majesty of God. And that's important because uh, seeing God's glory helps us overcome fear. We talked a few weeks ago when we were studying Daniel about how we don't have to be afraid because God's in control. Um, but, but what we want to look at today is that seeing God's glory, seeing God's majesty, yes, it, fears, it, it, it frees us from fear, but specifically it frees us from fearing people, from freeing others. God is glorious, so I don't need to fear others. That's the main idea. That's the big point today. If God's big, if God's wonderful, if God is majestic, you don't need to worry about what everyone thinks about you. Here's what we're going to look at today. I've got three uh, main points under this. Uh, Number one is the fear of man. Number two is the man to fear. Number three is the freedom of fearing God. The fear of man, the man to fear, the freedom of fearing God. First, the fear of man. 
Uh, fear of man would be defined as craving the acceptance and approval of other people. It's replacing God with people. This is a biblical way to talk about what we often talk about in other settings, which would be people-pleasing, peer pressure, codependency, insecurity. Right? If you've ever uh, been in counseling or been in therapy, perhaps you've heard these sort of words. The biblical way to talk about it is the fear of man. What it is, is it's, it's elevating another person into a place that only God belongs. Caring about their opinion more than you care about God's opinion. And let me tell you, because this is one of the sins that plagues my own heart. Living for the fear of man, for the approval of others, is like living in a hall of mirrors. Ever seen a hall of mirrors? Maybe in a movie or maybe at a carnival or something like that. These are the, you know, the place where you go in and there's all the different mirrors and in one you're really tall and skinny and the other one you're like a foot tall and fat and, you know, one makes your head huge and, right? Living to impress, to, to, to get approval from other people, it's like living in that, right? Because to one person I'm this and to another person I'm that and to an, and how do, who do I decide who to live for? And, and so we, we want to go, what does God say? Who does God say we are? The fear of others, the fear of man, plagues us. We're marked by it. Now you may instantly be thinking, well gosh, I wish I had brought so-and-so here today to hear this. Um, Let me ask some diagnostic questions, right? If you go to the doctor, uh, you you want the doctor to ask some questions. So we're going to do some soul care today, some some soul diagnostics. And so I've got some diagnostic questions. And we might find out, just perhaps, it's possible, that maybe this sermon isn't just for someone else that you should have brought, but maybe it's for you. So here's the first diagnostic question. Are you easily influenced? This would be just kind of basic peer pressure. I don't know about you, but there are certain people... It seems like especially my sister-in-law and her husband, who my wife and I really like, every time they come to town and they leave, we start using whatever new phrase they've started using. Right? And we just find ourselves easily influenced by that. And, and that may or may not be a really awful thing, but if you look at yourself and go, you know what, I am kind of a chameleon. I just change colors depending on who's around me. And I use that kind of wording and that kind of clothes and that kind of, are you easily influenced? Here's another question. Are you afraid of being exposed as an imposter? Are you afraid of being exposed? I heard of this. Uh, This was actually a very cruel joke that somebody played. That somebody was thinking, you know what? Everybody's got a secret that they're afraid of being exposed. And they thought that it would be really funny to go up to this person at their job and say, by the way, I know what you did. And then just walk away. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And so this guy goes up to this, this young gal who's the receptionist says, By the way, I know what you did. And leaves. She just, she just broke down in tears. Quit her job. It's awful. Is that awful? And yet, if someone came to you and said, I know what you did. I know the truth. Isn't there a part of you that, I mean, you've got some skeleton somewhere and you're going, do they really know? Are you afraid of that? Do you live kind of in fear? You've got to protect that and you've got to manage that and you've got to hide that and cover that. And if you do, that you, you, you're dealing with the fear of man there. There's another one. Do you often second-guess decisions 
because of what others might think. You, you make a call, but you go, ah, I don't know, maybe other people won't like that, and so I, maybe I need to change it. You're just internally second-guessing it. Do you often turn your relational wants into needs? Right? It's one thing to want to be listened to, to want to be respected. That's natural in any relationship. But if you turn it into a need, where I have to have this, and if you don't give me my, the, the emotional things I need, then I can't go on. What you're living for is the approval of someone else. What you're doing is you're fearing man. We do this even in our closest relationships. Do you get easily embarrassed? Oh, I don't, I don't want to do anything that would make anyone look at me because they might think I'm fear of man. Do you uh, ever lie or exaggerate? This one convicts me. You ever kind of embellish the story a little bit just to make it have a little more sizzle, be a little funnier, be a little more impressive, right? This is the person at the party. You, you've got to one-up everybody, right? You, me, you, me, right? Kind of that Brian Regan, me monster thing, right? Do, do you ever lie because you go, well, if they knew the truth, then that would make them unhappy, and so I've got to cover this up. I've got to change the story. I've got to make something up. Do you do that? If you do, what that's... Listen, the issue is not fundamentally that you're a bad liar. The issue is you fear people. So we've got to get to the root of that. Uh, do other people often make you angry or depressed? You know, people shouldn't have that power over you. But if you find yourself saying, this person makes me so angry, this person makes me so sad, this person makes me so stressed, why are you letting them? It's because you're submitting to your fear of them. Last diagnostic question. Are you determined to be known as an independent person? Now this one has some nuance. See, some people go, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And you just tell them that I don't care what they think. Well, think about that just for a moment. What you're saying is, I want you to think that I don't care about what you think. Do you get the complexity of that? It's still the same thing. I'm still trying to impress you by how much I don't care about you. Right, so even there, there's fear of man. Have we nailed you yet? I'm out of questions. We're there, aren't we? Don't you deal with that? I do. What, what's our hope? How are we gonna, how are we gonna overcome that kind of fear of man? And, and listen, it's worse today because of social media. It's worse because of Facebook and because of Twitter and because of Instagram and because of YouTube and all these things because you feel like I've got to create this persona online. I've got to have this identity. I've got to be known this way. And all my life has to be lived in front of people. I know a number of women who uh, don't use Facebook or Pinterest because they did for a while and all of a sudden they got so concerned about how awful they were as a mom or as a wife or as a person because they would see these people post all these wonderful things and and oh my gosh, they made the hot dogs look like bunny rabbits and I can only make them look like hot dogs and I must be a terrible mom, right? And, and, and you all know that, right? We all see that. It, and, and I'm not sure that what we all post out there is the real us, right? It might be the, it might be the avatar we use. It might be the image we want to portray. But all that just heightens it. It just turns it up a notch. You feel like everyone's watching. And part of that is because you let everyone watch. So what's the answer? Well, the world would say this. The answer from the world would be, you know what? You need to not care about what other people think. You just need more self-esteem. 
You need to think better about yourself. Don't worry about what they think. Think about what you think. But that only compounds the problem. Because what that does is that then makes you dependent on whatever boosts or lowers your self-esteem. Whoever compliments you or degrades you. It just makes it worse. Self-esteem is not the answer. What we need is God-esteem. We don't need to think higher of ourselves. We need to have more God-esteem. What does God think? Who is God? What does He say about me? Proverbs say this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We've got to trust in the Lord. We need God-esteem. We need to trust Him. So that's the fear of man. There's a man instead, though, that we should fear. Number two, the man to fear. We need to fear the Lord. And fear of the Lord would be defined like this, reverent submission that leads to obedience. Right? You will often hear people talk about the fear of the Lord. The Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what that means is not primarily that when, when God shows up, you should be like terrified, though that will happen if God shows up in your life. If you read Scripture, every time God shows up, like you eat carpet. You're on your face. But what this is talking about is, is a life, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a, a life of reverence, of submission, of I'm going to honor him, I'm going to live for him. Think about this. The fear of man is caring about and living for the expectations of people. The fear of the Lord is caring about and living for, submitting to the expectations of God, obedience. It's also called worship and trust and relying on the Lord and hoping in the Lord. That's the antidote to this. Where does the fear of the Lord come from? Well, it comes from seeing glory. Glory. The idea of glory in the Scripture is the idea... It carries a couple ideas. One is the idea of light and of brightness and like the splendor of majesty like we talked about in Psalm 145. The other part of glory is the idea of weight. Something that's significant. Something that's substantial. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of glory. And the reality is, what we will live for, what we will fear, is whatever we think has more weight. Whatever we think is more significant, substantial, and wonderful. That's what we'll live for. And so this is fundamentally about a battle for glory. Will we give glory to people whose thoughts of us change and who we don't really even care about that much? Or will we give weight and glory and substance to God? That's what this is about. And so that takes us to John chapter 1. Long way to get to John chapter 1, but hopefully you're still there. John chapter 1, the apostle John is introducing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And he does it in chapter 1. He does it a bit cryptically, a bit poetically, if you will. And he makes sure that we know in chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Word of God, he has uh, been with God from the beginning. He is fully God, and He is the creator of all things. And He has come into the world. He has incarnated. He has put on flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Pick it up in verse 9. He's the true light. So you think about glory. Jesus is the, the true light. He's the source of light, of glory. He, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Remember last week we looked at Isaiah 40, that God had spoken everything into existence. That was Jesus that did that. Yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here's the key verse for us today, verse 14. And the word became flesh. God put on flesh. God put on meat. This is God concarne, incarnation. God with meat. God with flesh. God, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, puts on a body, it says in verse 14, and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is the idea of a tabernacle. The tabernacle was where the Jews would carry throughout the wilderness in their journey. And it's where the presence of God would dwell. It was a tent. The eternal Son of God took on a body and tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory, John announces. We've seen His glory. And the question is, well, what did He see? What is John talking about? What is John referring to? Is He talking about that birth? Is He talking about His life? Is He talking about His death? Is He talking about the moment when John and Peter and James were up on a mountain and Jesus was transfigured in all of His glory? What is it that John is referring to? He says, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. We've seen the glory, the the, the kind of glory that could only come from the only Son of God. We get that idea in verse 18. Look down at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has made God known. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. We see, we want to see glory. We got to look at Jesus. Back to verse 14. We've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what did John see? Was it the life of Jesus? Yeah. Was it the transfiguration of Jesus? Uh Uh-huh. Was it his death? Absolutely. Was it his resurrection over death? Yes. In other words, if we want to be captivated by the glory of God, we have to see Jesus. Have you seen Him? Have you seen Him? I'm not talking about like His face in your toast, you know, or like a statue or, you know, some picture that's painted to make Him look like He's from Iowa. Have, have, have the eyes of your heart seen Him? Have you seen Him? Can I, can I show Him to you? Jesus is amazing. And what we see in verse 14 is that He's full of grace and truth. There's this combination of incredible, praiseworthy things that seem opposite. Right? Truth is... Here's the truth. Here's what's honest. Here's justice. You get what you deserve. Grace is, it's okay. I love you anyway. And in Jesus is this perfect combination of both. And that's how John describes Jesus' glory is full of grace and truth. Have you seen him? 
You want to see his grace? Chapter 2 of John, Jesus goes to a wedding. And at the wedding, they run out of wine. And at the wedding, where they run out of wine, with a little bit of badgering from his mother, Jesus decides to turn that water into wine. And when the master of ceremonies tastes it, he says, most people serve their best wine at the beginning, and then when everyone gets hammered, like gives them the lousy stuff, you've saved the best to last. The glory of Jesus is the grace that would turn water into wine just to make the party better. That's the kind of Jesus you serve. If you think he's a killjoy, just remember, the first miracle he did was to create wine to make the party better. But then you see his truth. Right after that, it says in chapter 2, verse 13, that the Passover was there, and Jesus went to the temple, and what he saw in the temple was all these poor people being, being treated unjustly. They would bring their animal, and the priests and the, and, the, and the people would say, oh, well, that's not really good enough to sacrifice. You've got to buy one of our pre-approved things. And it says that Jesus got so mad that it says he sat down and he made a whip of cords. Now think about this. This is not like Jesus just went Superman and went, whip of cords. Ta-da! And it just appeared in his hand. He, he made it. He sat down with leather straps and he tied it. And you can just imagine the anger as he's thinking about these people being treated unjustly, full of grace, full of truth. He's full of truth in chapter 3 when he interacts with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the ruler of the Pharisees, the guy that should know anything that there is to know about God. And, and, yet, and yet Jesus says, hey, you need to be born again. And he goes, I don't know what you mean. And he goes, how do you not know? Aren't you the teacher of Israel? And he's bold. He confronts him. But then you see grace in chapter 4 when he encounters this woman at the well, the woman who's had five husbands and the man she's living with now is not her husband and a Jewish man should never talk to a woman, let alone a woman like that. And Jesus tenderly interacts with her and says, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I were, you would say, give me water to drink. And he changes her life. The same Jesus in chapter 5 of John encounters a man who's been sitting in a pool that they thought once it got stirred up you could get healed. And he's sitting there and he's been there for years and years and years. And Jesus tenderly comes to him and says, do you want to get healed? And and the man says, I'd love to, but no one can take me into the magic waters. And Jesus says, you don't need magic waters. Be healed. The man stands up and starts splashing around. But he's also full of truth. In John chapter 8, he's encountering the Pharisees, the most religious people, the people that, who thought they had their whole act together. And you want to encounter truth? You want to know what Jesus says to them in chapter 8, verse 44? You are of your father, the devil. Okay, when Jesus calls you the son of the devil, ouch. Right? So he, he's tender and yet he's truthful. And, and ultimately what we see is this truth and grace on the cross. That's what we see. We see that he is so serious about sin. He is so just. He is so concerned that truth happen. That someone has to pay for the sins of people. 
Yet he's so gracious that even though he is innocent of it, he goes there. Have you seen him? See, when we see Jesus as he is, we realize he's the one that has the weight. He's the one that has the glory. I don't care. I don't need to worry what other people think. Just, just imagine this. Imagine, who, right, think right now of somebody, and all of us can do this, somebody that you like to impress. If they criticized you, it would hurt. And you have a tendency potentially to compromise, to do something, whatever it takes to get them to like you. You can think of that person. You got them in your mind's eye? All right, now, now stand them next to Jesus. Whose opinion matters now? Jesus. So the big question is, well, then what is Jesus' opinion of me? Right, because that sounds like a threat. Like, honestly, like, Jesus is great and he does all these great things, but he's also, he, he might know that I'm of my father, the devil, too. You might call me on the carpet of that. What does Jesus think about me? Well, this is where we have the freedom of fearing God. If you will trust Him, if you will fear Him on a moment-by-moment basis, if you will even today trust in Him in a fresh way, you have the confidence that He thinks of you as His child. Look back to John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him. Remember, there's all these people that don't want to receive him. But to all who do, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. For all who trusted him. For all who feared him. For all who worshipped him, who hoped in him. For all who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. I'll never forget two weeks after my firstborn daughter was born, laying on the carpet, and she's snuggled up like a burrito. And at this point, all she's done is eat and poop and cry and sleep. And I remember laying there looking at her. She hadn't done anything, good or bad. And I just looked at her and I said, Abby, there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you more. And there's nothing that you could do to make me love you less. She said, gee, thanks, Dad. No. <laughs> but that's, that's the feeling that a father has. At least a good father. Maybe you didn't have a father like that. Let me tell you, that's how God as a father is. So what, is, what does the Lord think? What, do you trust Him? Do you love Him? Have you seen Him and go, wow, he, He's worth giving the weight to then he sees you as his child. He accepts you. He welcomes you. He embraces you. But what this is, is a battle for glory. There's this tragic place in John's Gospel, in chapter 12. We'll put it on the screen here for you. This tragic place. And and I'm afraid that some of you may be in this place. And I want to invite you not to be. And I want to warn you, don't be in this place. John 12, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man 
more than the glory that comes from God. How will you not fear others? It all depends on whose glory you love. Do you love the glory that comes from man? Is God small to you? Is he insignificant to you? Is Jesus just sort of this caricature of some hippie guy and I don't really know anything about him? And I, you know what? I, he, every, he's not as real as, as how my boss thinks of me. I hope not. I hope that you'll do whatever it takes to see Jesus. I hope you'll go to this Gospel of John and, and read the stories I told you and many more that are there. All of which so that you would want His glory. So that you would believe in His name. We need to see His glory. We need to see who He is. And we need to see our blind spots. And so let me just finish with this idea. This is also why, this is especially important on this on-ramp kickoff uh, today. This is why we need community. This is why we need each other. Because I wake up every day and I kind of care more about other people's glory than about Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but it, it's a lot easier to, to run to Facebook and email in the morning than it is to your Bible. And, and we need community. We need people that see what we love, see what we're afraid of, see, see our hopes and our fears. And we need people to then lovingly be able to say, Jesus is better. You don't need to go there. Listen, God is glorious, so you don't need to fear others. We need people like that. But here's some of your biggest fears. Some of your biggest fears is to let someone know the truth about you. You're so captivated by the fear of man that if someone knew who you were, you'd be exposed as an imposter. And so the very thing you need, which is for someone to know your junk and call you on it, is what you'll never allow. And the result will be you'll live in the fear of people and you'll never know the freedom of being a free child of God. God wants more for you. Do you know that? God wants more for you. God wants freedom. God wants joy. God wants you to enjoy the life of being His child. And he invites us to it through Jesus. Let's pray that we could make it our own, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and for how it never fails, how it always rings true. And God, especially in this moment when we realize that we do love the approval of others more than we love your approval. God, I pray that you would allow us to see you as you are. That we would not fear others because we would trust you. God, we long to see that freedom take place in our lives, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to respond um, to the beauty of the gospel. I hope you saw it this morning. I hope your heart was moved. Um,